0: All right, so I will start tonight, lesson 46, the way I started lesson one. Bo Shaono. Blessed is the Lord who has brought us to this day. Um, I want to express my gratitude to the, to the Almighty for having been able to complete this class. In Shara Betochen. A little bit of the background, um, it had been an aspiration of mine for a long time to teach Shara Bitochen, and I had looked at many different possibilities and made a few different false starts. I can't even really call them false starts, um, but some plans that never really materialized and, you know, the story of the Shadow Betochen class is a story of Betochen itself, because, um, well, you know, how do I make a living? <laughs> I go around and I speak, you know. That's, that's, how, uh, that's my main parnossa. And the last speaking engagement that I had, um, I'm trying to remember if it was Toronto or if it was L.A. I think I went from Toronto to L.A. Or maybe I stopped. Yeah, I think I stopped in Chicago for like six hours. Um, And then I went to L.A. And I think that was the last gig I had. And then it was like a week or two before Purim. And typically I don't have any bookings a week or two before Purim, usually a week or two before Purim until about a week or two after Pesach. So I was expecting not to have any gigs. And then basically, uh, if you remember, it was right after Purim when we realized, or at least most of us, most of us realized um, what the situation was, and uh, everything changed. And whatever gigs were scheduled were all cancelled, and certainly no new bookings came in, and that was it. And I was basically grounded. And uh, I mean, from a from a personal perspective, I loved it. I'm an introvert. It's great, you know, not leaving the house. And also I'm very blessed because I love my family, Baruch Hashem. So we had a lot of good quality time and all the kids, even the kids who were normally away, came home. My oldest kids came home because, uh, you know, where they were on shlichus or where they were in yeshiva was, you know, was closed or was, was doing remote distance learning. And so Baruch Hashem, on a personal level, it was like Gan Eden. And, uh, but then... What I realized is, uh, i got to do something to fill my time. (laughs) So, uh, Baruch Hashem, in coordination with Chabad of the Five Towns, where I am very, very grateful to be uh, a part of the team of Chabad of the Five Towns and to be the Scholar-in-Residence. It started off as the uh, Scholar-in-Residence, now it's, I guess, the permanent Scholar-in-Residence, Baruch Hashem. Uh, So we coordinated with a lot of the five towns and we said, let's start doing daily learning. And, um, I said, you know what, let's take the plunge. Let's do a shot Do it every weeknight. And, uh, I'll tell you something, if it hadn't been for this whole Corona and for the whole situation, I don't think I, I, I would have ever had the, the guts to really take the plunge and start this learning. And also, practically speaking, to be able to do it every single night, that's not, normally we don't have, you know, a class that's every day, you have a class once a week. Imagine if we were doing Shadar once a week, right? The only way we were able to finish like this was that we had it every night, and Baruch Hashem, now we have 45 classes in the can, as they call it, in the biz, um, and it's been amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, I think the first episode has 3,000 views on, on, on YouTube, which for me is, is a lot. Um, and it's also, of course, on soulwords.org, as well as on Torah Anytime. And uh, the past few months, wherever I go, people are constantly mentioning to me, Shara Betochen. Just last night I was at the oil for Chaf which is the Rebbe's Father's site. Somebody came over to me and told me, thank you for Shara Betochen. Um... I'll tell you, when we first started, when we first started, um, when was that? It was during Sefira, it was before Shvuos. So I hadn't been to the oil for a couple of months, I think, uh, which is probably the longest I haven't been to the oil since I've been here in Shlichus in Long Island. But I hadn't left the house. I basically hadn't left the house, except to take walks around the block with my wife. And the first time I left the house at all, for like two months, I think, was to go to the aisle. And as I was coming out of the aisle, I don't remember exactly when this was, I think it was probably right after Schwurz, Um, as I'm coming out, a woman followed me out of the aisle. And she says, Rabbi "Yeah." And I didn't want to, like, stand right next to the oil and speak to her, so I backed up a little bit, like, toward the regular part of the cemetery. And I said, yeah. she said, I want to really, really thank you. I was grappling with something um, about a, a job offer, and it was, a, it was a government job offer. And you said, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, if you have betochen, you won't have to take difficult jobs, like working for the king. And you said, and that means, you know, in, in today's day, that means, like, working for the government. And that was my answer. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> right? I had just gone to the aisle for whatever it is that, that, that I went for. And she's telling me that she had this, this clarity from the Shadabitachin class. So amazing, amazing. So she's like, uh, and I really like how you, um, that you brought in the letter, the Rebbe's letter about learning Shadabitachin. So I said, yeah. And I don't know why this was my answer, but I just said, "Yeah, Mendel Shemtov." Right? Mendel Shemtov Shem Allo who was the one who got the letter. We looked at—I it, I don't remember—it was in class four or five, one of the early classes. I showed you the letter. Actually, I think we had a facsimile of the original letter, which the Shemtov family uh, shared with me, where the Rebbe told Mendel Shemtov to uh, to learn Shadar a few times. And uh, I said, "Yeah, Mendel Shemtov." I don't know why that was the words that I said. And then I turned around, and where am I standing? Boom, right there. <laughs> because I told you when I came out of the oil, I wanted to back away from the oil before I spoke with her. And I saw I'm standing right in front of his uh, matseva, which is just maybe, you know, like 10, 20 yards away from the oil. Anyway, um, and, and, and throughout the past couple of months, just constantly people have been telling me, Shara Betochen, Shara Betochen. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it has a life now online, like I said, it's on YouTube, it's on soulwords.org, it's on Torah anytime. Uh, it has a, has, a, has a life unto itself, and I'm just so grateful that we're able to, to do this, this class. And to you who came live every night to the Zoom, I mean, that's been incredible, having you here with your chats. i got to tell you something, the chats made all the difference to me, the, the live interaction having your questions, and having, having people who, who, who get my jokes, or at least claim to get my jokes. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's been incredible. And, and what I'm telling you is that the whole thing really, I, I don't think it would have ever happened. Oh, I forgot to mention Chayenu. Chayenu is a big part of how this happened, because Chayenu has been putting out installments of Shara B'tokhin. And they, they're coming out with a book, Amir Tzah Hashem, and they shared with us the text that we've been using. And, uh, yeah, so th- th- this, all these things came together, and then the whole COVID thing hit, and that's what I was about to say. This whole thing wouldn't have happened if my life hadn't been disrupted by corona. So um, the story of the Shara Betochen class is in and of itself a story of Betochen. That, you know, a Mensch tracht and Gott lacht, but he's not laughing at us. You know, I used to think when we say a man plans and God laughs, you know, I was uncomfortable with it. You know, it sounds cynical. He's not laughing at us, he's laughing for us. He's very happy for us that our puny plans did not transpire. Thank God. So, Baruch Hashem. Um, I'm here to take your questions, your comments, your complaints, but be gentle um, on this uh, final class, and also I wanted to share with you uh, a, few, a few more thoughts that I had in general about Betochen. So, uh, oh, well, here's a comment. I think because the class was live also enabled me to learn the whole way through. There's something very different to just listening to an audio share online as a passive listener, versus being part of a live share where there's interaction and the teacher can see if there are five people or 20 people attending. It also helped me feel committed to come, like I signed up. Thanks so much. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. There is something to the to the live class. And even though we're not really uh, in the same physical location, there is a feeling of, there's a, there's a human connection. Uh, I definitely, oh, someone else writes here. Agreed, it made a huge difference. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. And I see, by the way, the power of the live classes. And I'm going to take a little bit of a break. I need to take a break. <laughs> I really need to take a little bit of a break. Um, but we, we will continue with live classes and with, with with Zoom. I see now that Zoom is such a powerful. I mean, it doesn't have. To, it's not an advertisement for Zoom. It doesn't have to be Zoom. But that a a, a live format is such a powerful tool. And. Uh, yeah, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. I really, I thank those who who made the commitment to come, uh, be part of the live audience every every night. Um, okay, you want to hear a story about Betachen? Yeah, want to hear a story about Betachen? All right. So here's a story about Betachen that I like, which um, I never told during the 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 forty five classes because I, I didn't see where it came up. So. I never got to tell it, so I'm like, hey, I have this good story about Betochen I never told. You know, I got to tell it sometime. Anyway, so here's one of my favorite Betochen stories. The story is about the Rebbe from Alexander. Alexander was a very large chassidist in Poland before before the war. Unfortunately, uh, the majority of Alexander was wiped out in the war, but... uh, The first Rebbe of of Alexander, Reb Yechiel, uh, he and his son, who was known as the Yismach Yisrael. Yismach Yisrael was uh, was a sefer that uh, that uh, I think his name was Reb Mil Yitzchok Yisrael, uh, who was the son of Reb Yechiel. So he there's a sefer Yismach Yisrael, which uh, has his teachings and the teachings of his father of the of the the Alexander Hasidus. Anyways, the story is that Rabbi Yechiel and his son, the Yismach Yisrael, were once in a forest, in a, like a little cabin, like a remote cabin in the woods, and uh, Rabbi Yechil all of a sudden, uh, I mean, he, he was not in good health anyway, I think it was sort of like they had taken a retreat because of his health in the first place, but he suddenly became gravely ill. And uh, there was no help around. They were in the middle of the forest, and uh, there was nothing. There was, nowhere, there was nowhere to go. There was no one to, to reach out to. They were literally you know, in, in, in the middle of nowhere. So uh, Reb Yisrael tells his father, Rebbe Yechil, he says, mm-hmm. Father, I swear to you. I'm making here a solemn oath that you will be okay. You'll be fine. And uh, that calmed his father. And he says, now uh, I have to get some fresh air. (laughs) I don't know how he said it, but he said, I'm going to go outside. So he went outside and uh, davened. He didn't want to daven in front of his father, but he said, he said, you have to take care of your tzaddikim. My father is one of your tzaddikim. Take care of him. And he came back in, and he saw his father's feeling, feeling fine. So uh, after a while, Rabbi Yechil says to his son, he says, Baruch Hashem, I'm feeling better, but I have a question for you. How could you swear, how could you make an oath that I'm going to be better? He said, Baruch Hashem, it worked out. I, I, I see that I am Baruch Hashem better, but how were you able to swear that I would be better? So uh, the Yismach Yisrael said, I relied on the holy Roshaner, the Roshaner Rebbe, Rebbe Yisroel Roshaner, the great-grandson of the Maggid. He says, what does the Roshaner say? Rosh Hashanah says, that it says in Tehillim, in uh, Kapitol Yud Gimel, Dovodah Melech says to Hashem, Adonah Taster Espanach HaMimeni, o Oshis How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I search for plans, counsel within myself? The Ruzhner said it as a question and an answer. He says, this is how you should read it. Hashem, how long will you conceal your face from me? That's the question. The answer is, As long as I'm looking for a plan for myself. As long as I think that there's some type of that I can do. So... That's how long you'll be concealed from me. But once I hit the point where I can't find any Eitzis, benafshi, I can't find any ideas within myself because I'm I'm out of Eitzis. I'm bereft of counsel. I have no more good ideas or even bad ideas. I have no plans. I I can't figure this one out. Now, Hashem reveals himself. Hashem takes care of you. He no longer conceals his face. So the Yitzhak Yisrael said to his father, you told me that you're not well. I thought to myself, how far are we from any type of help? And I realized there's absolutely no way humanly possible that I can do anything for you in this matzah, in this situation. And it hit me. There's no eitzah. I have no eitzah. I have no plan. I have nothing. Ah! Well in that case, like the Rosh said, it's time for Hashem to take care of things. And that's how I was able to swear to you that you're going to be fine. If I thought there was something I could have done, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to swear you'll be fine, because maybe then it depends on how well I do whatever I'm supposed to do. But once I saw there's nothing I can do, it has nothing to do with what I do, I knew the Ebshah is going to take care of it. Anyway, that's a, that's a nice talking story, huh? Somebody writes here, Thank you, Rabitab, for a very meaningful and practical class. Would you consider giving another evening class? Yeah, for sure. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is good. And we will... Uh... I don't know if I'll be crazy enough to do it every single night for month after month after month. That was kind of a marathon. But from time to time, and I encourage everybody to follow uh, on the Soul Words WhatsApp, um, to be subscribed to the Soul Words WhatsApp, What's the number? Who knows the Soul Words WhatsApp number? Hold on a second. Um, yeah, here it is. Okay. 516 495 3021. You can uh, subscribe to uh, the Soul Words WhatsApp, 516 495 3021 and you'll be notified of any live events that we have as well as uh, anything that we think may be interesting. Here, I'll share it as well. Okay. Alright, excellent. Okay. We doing good. All right, Baka good, good. My people are still out there. Okay. All right. Um, I'll share with you uh, another story, and uh, I thought about this story because. Remember I mentioned at the last class that we read something in the second-to-last class. Actually, the last class was the second-to-last class because this is the last class. You following what I'm saying? 46 is the last class, therefore 45 is the penultimate class. And I said that whole sentence just because I wanted to use the word penultimate. Um, And class 44 was the pen penultimate. I'm not sure if that's correct. but, yeah, Class 44, there was that line there I loved about the person who said, I never woke up in one situation and wished I were in another. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, I told you, I want to make a billboard. I want to make a sign. I never woke up in one situation and wished I were in another. Um, That's so powerful to me. You know, it's like, it's one thing to calm yourself down with some self-talk and to say, hold on a second, you know what? This is what Hashem is choosing for you right now. This is perfect. You're okay. You're going to be okay. You're already okay. You know, calm down. Everything's okay. Everything's good. Habistur is good, right? And, and I'm not knocking that. That's, that's great. I mean, that's <laughs> the way I talk to myself all day long. But to be able to wake up in the morning and to have that feeling, you know, I'm gonna tell you something. Maybe the only people I speak to are people with problems So, maybe I don't have a very representative sampling of what's out there, but it seems to me that pretty much everybody has pain in this gullus. And sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less. And uh, when you're going through a difficult situation, I'm talking about a prolonged situation that's really challenging you. you know that feeling of waking up and 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 thinking, oh no. You know, sleep was a little bit of a break and now I'm awake and here we are. Here we are again. And sort of remembering, yeah, no, it wasn't a dream. No, no, that's my life right now. Right. Once heard somebody put it this way, he says, I used to wake up and say, Good God, morning. Now I wake up and I say, Good morning, God. <laughs> so to go from that shift of, you know, Good God, morning, I <laughs> right? to waking up and saying, Good morning, God to me that's just the most powerful thing. The betochen is so strong that you wake up in the morning and you're okay. You know your first thought, your first conscious thought is of okayness, that I'm okay. Um, So I was thinking a little bit about that. That's such a level. I mean, I definitely aspire to it. But I was thinking a little bit about, you know, waking up in the morning and being in tune with our okayness as as an early thought in the day, rather than something I have to work my way up to through meditation and self-talk, but, you know, to really feel that okayness right after I wake up, or as close to waking up as, as possible. So... I'll, t- I'll share with you a story uh, that, to me, was related to this idea. At least I felt I could use it and apply it to this idea of, of feeling okay when you wake up. Um, the story is about the Tzadik Reb Cherno- Mottl- Chernobyl. tchernobiler Reb matl had a was a businessman. And uh, I don't know how they got to speaking about his seder Hayyayim, his daily schedule, but the businessman, the chassez, who was a businessman, proceeded to tell Reb Mottal about his, uh, his schedule. So basically he says, he gets up in the morning and, and, and he says brochas, and then he goes to the market and he buys merchandise, and then he goes to shul and he davens. So uh, the Chernobyl asked him, well, you know, why do you buy merchandise before you daven? Really, you're not supposed to do business before you daven. So he says, look, I would like to, but if I don't go to the fair and I don't buy merchandise first thing in the morning, you know, by the time you get there, if you're not there right when they open, you don't find, you find you don't find anything good and, and you, can't, you can't make a living. So I go before davening." So uh, the Chernobyl said uh, to this chassid, he says, you know, let me, let me tell you a story. He says, once upon a time there was a malamed, and this malamed earned his living, uh, I mean teaching children, that's what a malamed does, but he didn't have a local job, he had to travel. He went to a, <clears throat> a faraway city where, where there were students, and his wife and children would stay home." And they wouldn't see him for a year. And they basically live on credit for a year. He had people who would extend his family credit. And then he would go off and he would teach. And he would make money. And after the year was over, he would take all the money and he would travel. He'd have a year's worth of of money. He would travel home. And he would pay off all the debts that his wife and children accumulated during the course of the year. And that's that's how they lived. So... uh, he he had a bunch of different coins because the the wealthy people that used to pay them pay him their their tuition with with big coins with gold coins, and then there were you know middle tier people they would use silver coins, and then there were the poor who would scrape together copper coins until they had enough copper coins to equal the amount of the the tuition, and uh, so he had a, he had three. Bags of these, he, he sorted the coins into the gold bag and the silver bag and the copper bag, and uh, then he put all, all the bags in one big bag, and he traveled home. So it was to get home was many days, and he, he there was no choice but to spend Shabbos on the road. So out uh, er of Shabbos, he's looking for where he can hide his money, and he looked around. He buried it. He buried it somewhere in the ground. But right before Shabbos, he started getting paranoid. Maybe somebody saw him when he was burying the money. Someone's going to steal it. It's a whole year's worth of money, and it's mamish. It's right before. It's right before Shabbos. Right before sundown. So he didn't know what to do. So he he wasn't even thinking. He just dug up the money from the ground and he runs into the the tavern, the inn where he's staying. It was a Jewish-owned inn, and he says to the bakretchma, to the to the tavern keeper. He says. Take this as a, you know, this is my 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 money. You know, take this and uh, hold this for me until after Shabbos. So the innkeeper put it away, and uh, then it was Shabbos, and now that's it. You know, nothing you can do. So the malamed, the school teacher, went to go daven, and as he's trying to daven, he starts thinking to himself, "I'm such an idiot. What did I do? I would have been better off leaving the money buried in the ground." I don't know this tavern keeper. I don't know him. Do you know how easy, there was no paper, there's no documentation. There's no, there's, there's no proof that I gave him all this money. Do you know how easy it would be for him after Shabbos to just look at me with a blank stare and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You never gave me any money. So he was, he was, he, he was devastated. He couldn't rest. He couldn't think. And um, so he he came over to the tavern keeper and he says, Where's my money? Where's my money? I need to have my money. I don't care. It's Shabbos. Where's my money? And uh, the tavern keeper was like, it's Shabbos, I mean, I, I put it away. He's I need my money. I need my money. So, Finally, the tavern keeper's like, you know what, fine, I'll go get the guy the money. So, I don't know, he, he you know, lifted up Kalachah Yad, you know, with a shinoy, you know. <clears throat> it's Muktz on Shabbos, but I don't know how he picked it up. But he he, he he got the money, the tavern keeper took the money, and he found the guy davening. He was davening. In fact, he was in the middle of Shme And uh, the tavern keeper put the money down in front of him. He says, here, here's your money, you know, now now you deal with it. So the Malamed, in the middle of Shemineser, he stops, he looks down, he opens up the bag. In the middle of Shemineser, when you're not supposed to interrupt at all, he opens up the bag, and he sees the three bags are there. But that's not enough. He opens the first bag, the gold bag, and he counts it. He counts out how many gold coins are out. Yeah, that's the right amount. Okay. And then he doesn't stop. He opens up the next bag, the silver bag, and he counts how many silver coins, and he counts them all out. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the right amount. Okay. And then he doesn't—he still doesn't stop. He opens up the bag of copper coins and he counts them all out. He counts them all out. And after he finished co- counting all the, th- the, the the three kinds of coins from the three bags, then he calms down and he finishes davening. And as he finishes davening, the tavern keeper says to him, he "says I don't understand you. When you saw that I returned to you the gold coin." Right, the bag of gold coins is worth a hundred times more than the other two coins combined. When you saw that I returned to you the gold coins, I'm not stealing from you, you couldn't just stop? You couldn't stop at that point? You kept counting? You had to count the silver coins? And the co- even the copper coins? If I return to you the gold coins, obviously I'm returning to you all the coins. So Reb matal says to this chassid, the businessman who used to go buy merchandise before davening, he says to him, you understand? You understand? If he returned to you the gold coins, why do you have to count and worry about the silver and the copper coins? He spelled it out for him. He says, the most precious thing you have is your life. You woke up in the morning and this pikodin, this deposit, this priceless deposit that you left by Hashem, like we're saying in Khrushchev, I deposit has a pikodin, my, my soul. And then you wake up in the morning and you see that the melech chai Kayam returned to you. Graciously restored your soul. He gave you back the gold coins. Why do you have to count the silver and the copper? He gave you back your soul. The most precious thing. thing that nobody can create. Nobody can make a soul. Nobody can make themselves alive. He gave you your soul. He gave you your life. You're worried that he can't give you your parnosa? He's proven himself already. When he woke you up in the morning, he's given you the gold coins. So, that's my thought. My thought is, Rebbein HaBachayah says about the Beteach Ba'ashem, who says, I never woke up in the morning in one situation and wished I were in another situation. I think one, one way for us to try to approach that is, uh, even if that's not our first thought, but maybe it can be our second thought, that when worry starts to rear its head, we can answer the worry and say, look, he hasn't tr- proven himself trustworthy. He gave you the gold coins. Relax. Relax. <laughs> You're not getting shortchanged here. He's not, he's not trying to pull a fast one on you. He's going to give you everything that you need and he's going to give it to you in the exact right time in the exact right way. Um, someone says here, they're up to class 33 in the YouTube, but they wanted to join for the Siam. That's so nice. All right. Baruch Hashem. There's uh, another comment in the chat. Thank you so very much. i had been looking for something to learn, and this was amazing. Baruch Hashem. First time I am here live. I would listen and keep up while going to work and driving home. It made the drive so much better. A lot to work on. Thank you. Yes, to you and to everyone. And that's great that I was able to uh, join you on your commute. That's great. When you're driving, I don't know what city you live in, but depending on what city you live in, the traffic can be a real, uh, <laughs> real nesoyen. So when, you are, uh, when you're driving, it's a good time to listen to Shara Betochen, because you need a lot of betochen sometimes just uh, to stay emotionally sober on the road. Um, Oh, someone also says, "Yeah, same, listening on drives. Okay. Yash uh, HaKoyach for sharing the story about the oath, when there's nothing left for us to do, but going through a situation where I feel this way, and the story encourages me. Okay, Baruch Hashem. You should see here Yeshua very, very quickly. Baruch Hashem. We have here at the Kayach HaRabim. We have all the people here who are alive on Zoom all the people who watch in the archived videos, and we're all uh, davening for for you, whatever it is that you need. <sighs> is this why in seminary they told us to daven before going for a morning run? No, that's just the in-joke. Thank you for the meaningful story. I don't, I don't get the inside joke. I wasn't in seminary, so I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for the live aspect. Like everyone said, the feeling of commitment made the world of difference. Okay, we got to do live. We'll do more live. Uh, there aren't words to describe the beauty of learning these lessons on Shaddabatahan with you, Rabbi Tab. Thank you. Thank you. I live in Chicago but drive 80 miles to Rockford. Wow, that's not a commute. That's like, that's like moving. <laughs> well, I have an opportunity for us to practice Amunah um, and B'Tochan here. After 45 classes of Baruch Hashem, no technical difficulties or glitches, except for a few times where the sound wasn't exactly right, but you probably didn't even notice. Um, But, you know, everything was recorded. Thank God, all 45 classes. We did class 46, which was our Siyem, and uh, it cut off after, I think, 34 minutes, and we went on for another half an hour after that, at least another half an hour. I think the whole thing was was well over an hour. And... uh, cut off yeah so we don't have the rest of it but those who were on the zoom saw it and uh, those who are not on the zoom can imagine it and i just want to thank everybody again for going on this journey it has truly been a journey for me and uh, with hashem's help we'll continue to study together and continue to grow together thank you thank you so much